This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my goal with each episode is to share stories of people who are recreating their lives or rising above challenges to write their next chapters with authenticity. These stories give me the courage to go after living my best life, and I think they will do that for you, too. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show so this podcast can continue to inspire next chapters all over the world. I don't know too many people who have said they wanted to run off and join the circus who've actually done that. But guess what? I just met someone who did. After more than a decade on the radio, my guest left his safe job as a well-known news anchor in Boston to become a full-time circus performer. Jack Lapierre, welcome to my podcast. It is my pleasure, Liz. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you've actually done it. You quit your job at WBUR after 13 years on the radio station to run off and be in the circus and live and breathe being Jack the Whipper, or should I say Jacques the Whipper. (laughs) There you go. How does it feel? You know, it's a culmination, really, of just like 15 months of trying to make this work. It was not something I was really considering. And then October 2021, I went viral on TikTok. And I was like, oh, let's let's dip our toe into this. And the response has been extraordinary. You know, the question was, are these followers going to translate into people coming to my shows? And this past performing season in the fall, it was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're going to come out in spades. And it became to the point where I, I can make more money outside of my stable ju- journalism job, and which was just like mind blowing to me. That is mind blowing when you think about it. Of course, many of our listeners may know your alter ego, Jacques Zawipper, because of your appearance on season 17 of America's Got Talent. And when you first walked out on stage, Sofia Vergara said, oh, you look like a prince from the circus based on what you were wearing. And then once you started performing, initially, Simon Cowell X'd you. But, oh, did you get him back? Tell us about that experience. It was a wild experience because we had put together sort of a three-minute routine that would play well on TV. And I had been planning to do that bit, the trick that I did with Simon, with Howie Mandel. And then we find out, you know, day of, Howie is not there. So it's just Simon, Sophia, and Heidi. And so the trick is you have someone hold a target in between their knees, and they have to hold a squat position just to make sure that, you know, the whip has clearance and you don't whip them in the face on the downswing. (laughs) So I'm looking at my options here, and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to make Sophia or Heidi do this because they're wearing like six-inch heels. And I'm like, do I want to mess, you know, try and mess around with Simon? I was like, I don't think I want to even just risk it. So I was like, I was going to do the trick on myself, which is a whole different technique, but it works. I use it. I do it in the show sometimes. And then he X's me, and it felt like 30 seconds of the audience booing then Terry screaming Simon's name for him to help me with this trick. And then 30 seconds of the audience chanting to bring him up. I mean, they would not let me do. I was still trying to bring it back. They're like, no, I'll do the trick myself. They're like, no, you're, you're taking Simon. I was like, all right. So I got him up there. <laughs> my career flashes before my eyes. It's a trick that I had rehearsed hundreds of times beforehand. I had never actually done on stage in front of an audience, though. Uh-huh. And I kind of took a moment, set. You know, there are a couple of 
things that I need to run through and remind myself of to mm -hmm. make sure the trick goes right. One of them is after I back up, I have to move just slightly to the left. So my shoulder is actually on the same angle as, you know, where the target is. And then <laughs> it went okay. It went more than okay because Simon then changed his X to a yes. And I can't even imagine how exciting that was in that moment of time. It was just this moment of relief. Once he got off stage, you could feel a couple of things. When he got on stage first, you could feel the energy change a little bit, which yes. was, you know, suddenly he's no longer at that podium. Now he's on stage with me. He's in my domain. The whole time I could just kind of feel his demeanor get a little more friendly. And once I got the trick, I was like, okay, we're good. I could kind of see Sophia and Heidi out of the corner of my eyes. I was like, I kind of figured I had two votes at least. <laughs> at least. <laughs> you want all three, of course. Well, they were in hysterics. And I encourage people, go to YouTube and look this up because it is so much fun to watch. Now, I know you got eliminated at some point, but you know what's so interesting? I love watching the show. I remember seeing you on the show. And what people have always said is, what happens to them after AGT is extraordinary, even if they don't win. What happened for you? Well, I mean, it was it was kind of just this ongoing process of all the attention I had gotten from social media, which is, I think, why they originally reached out. What was interesting about AGT is it actually didn't bump up my numbers all that much. I was expecting and hoping for more, uh, to be honest with you. Huh. But I think it kind of puts you on the map first off in terms of, this is something that you can always point to. I've been on national TV. Right. But a lot of the festivals and shows that I have lined up for this year are shows and festivals that actually reached out to me well before I was on AGT last spring, last winter. The Colorado Renaissance Festival that I'll be working in in June, they reached out to me, I want to say, in January of last oh, year. Okay. I told them, I was like, I need one more year to make sure this isn't a dumb decision. This isn't a flash <laughs> in the pan. It's still a notch on your belt. It's still something that people can say, you were on national TV, you were on America's Got Talent. What's so interesting to me as I learned more about your background is that you started whip cracking and knife throwing at the young age of six years old. And it was actually your dad who taught you how to do these very dangerous things. Most parents would say, don't touch that. Don't go near that. And yet he did. Here's the thing about whip cracking is I think everyone thinks it's a lot more dangerous than it is. And if you're safe about it, it's hard to do real bad lasting damage to yourself. You can give yourself a welt and it hurts really bad. But what you do is when you're first learning, you wear long pants, you wear eye protection, and you're pretty safe. The worst you're going to get is, is a cut and not a bad one at that. The knife throwing, I, I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, so when I was a kid, he was doing, he was doing a show with my like older sister who was throwing knives around him in the show. I was never doing that. I don't know. He's, he's a braver man than me. Well, we should point out he was a clown and performer in the Big Apple Circus, right? So that's kind of how it all ties together. Did you want to become a performer in the circus as a child? It was sort of a process. When you're six years old and in normal school, because I was in normal school, I split time between sort of the circus world and the real world. Being the circus kid when you're six years old is awesome. Everyone thinks you're cool. It's great. Then you hit like seventh or eighth grade and suddenly it becomes a social liability. And so I went through this process, middle and high school, where I wanted nothing to do with the circus. I stopped performing, I stopped practicing, I, I just never talked about it. And then I was 16, I was working at an ice cream shop, I was making 6.25 an hour, and my dad <laughs> called me, he's like, I need your help for this show, I will pay you, I think it was the equivalent of $50 an hour, maybe it was only 25, either way, I saw it, dollar signs lit up, and I was like, oh, okay, let's like actually learn how to do some of this. 
And I had been doing school plays, school musicals. I enjoyed performing. Mm-hmm. I think I had been in, you know, such a state where, you know, it was a social liability for so long that I was, I kind of looked down on the circus for a little bit. And once I started performing at it again, I realized how much I enjoy it and how much I love it. When did you come up with your character, Jack the Whipper? I got to give full credit to my dad. My dad and I, I was 19 back home for, uh, between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And we were talking about working Renaissance festivals because I've been street performing in Harvard Square, Faneuil Hall, around Boston. And it was fine, but I wanted to get paying work. No one pays you to do street performing unless <laughs> the audience really likes it. There might be a it. dollar in your hat right on the yeah, sidewalk. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What he said is, you know, the difference with Renaissance Festival shows is you need to have skills and good tricks, but what's most important is having a character and having comedy that can develop out of that character. So it was, how can we make this show different? How can we make this show unique? And Renaissance Festivals, they have a lot of English accents, a lot of Irish accents, a lot of Scottish accents, very few French accents. So I was like, all right, let me go for the French character. And I think by virtue of the way Americans think, and I say this as someone of French descent, I think people are not threatened by the French, which is kind of what I wanted to go for, because I know what I'm doing on stage is pretty dangerous. It can be a little off-putting. It can be a little too in your face. So I want to make that as non-threatening as possible. Just have this dichotomy of, oh, okay, this show is really dumb, but what he's doing is also still really impressive. And that was kind of what we were aiming for. The last piece of the puzzle was I drew on the mustache and uh, <laughs> suddenly it, like everything clicked. Well, I love it when you put the French accent on it and you have the little mustache on. I mean, it's, it's quite something. And when you first went out in that character, you really got quite a magical response from the audience. And you said, wow, something's clicking here. You earned so much money, as you said, street performing when you were going to college. And I've even read somewhere where you were practicing your knife throwing on Boston Common. I can't imagine that probably drew quite not, a stir. Not knife throwing. <laughs> not no, knife throwing, just the whip cracking. No. Okay. <laughs> when did you actually start to take whip cracking seriously and think, you know what? Maybe this is a job outside of my day job. Well, so it was a process. You know, I was rehearsing all through college, and all through college, it was a side job. I could make more working just in the summer than I could all year, you know, say, waiting tables or something like that. It was around, I want to say, a little after I got out of college, sort of after I'd had a few years under my belt to perform and kind of polish the show, that things started to get to the point where I'm like, oh, okay, this is something that you could make a career. If you lined up enough work, you could do that. I was thinking about it in college, about making it my full-time career. But I mean, the money that I was making back then would not have been a comfortable living um, Mm. by any sense of the imagination. But it was really the last few years. The money has just gotten so much better. I think it's a combination of people were cooped up in COVID and Renaissance festivals are all outdoor shows. So it's a safe place for people to go get entertained. I think Ren Fairs have had this sort of moment the last decade, which I attribute to kind of Lord of the Rings and then Game of Thrones and to a lesser extent, Harry Potter, where being nerdy, this kind of nerddom is, it's not, I don't know if it's cool per se, but it's a little bit more mainstream. And so more people are likely to come out Well, you are able to crack the whip with such speed and force that you are currently holding the Guinness Book of World Records for the most bullwhip cracks in one minute. It stands at 298. Who knew that there was even a world record of this? So what is the secret to doing that? What is the secret to cracking a whip well? 
you work out six days a week for about two years and you eat five meals a day so you can put on muscle and it's uh, somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 calories. It's basically all you do, all you think about for more than a year. Where do you practice this? Out in my backyard. What I did was, so I went back and forth with the guy who had this record for a while, and he actually made the whip that I used to break his record. Adam Winrich, one of the greatest whip crackers in the world. He has something like 36 world records in whip cracking. The man is extraordinary. And I knew the only way I could beat him was if I outmuscled him. So that was my, my approach. <laughs> but what I do for the backyard rehearsal is I have whips that I've kind of adjusted so that they're not quite as loud. And that way I don't disturb the neighbors too much. They haven't complained yet. Uh, and I've lived in this house now for almost four years, so I think we're okay. <laughs> Having watched you perform on AGT, I learned that there are actually many different types of whip cracks. Which is your favorite one and why? There is one that I've really only seen myself and my father do, which is where you take the whip and you crack it behind you and in front of you. And so you get this really cool shot of the whip is twirling around you, always going bam, 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 bam. And I don't think it's well known because it's not a very efficient way. If you want to just make the whip crack a bunch of times, you can just swing it side to side out to your side. But this one where it kind of goes around you and it looks like a beehive going around you is one of my favorite tricks. I don't do it all that often because it's hard work. But well, I know you slice objects like you did with Simon Cowell. <laughs> you set mm -hmm. things aflame. How do you come up with these ideas? Some of it is uh, routines that I've done for years. Some of them are old routines, my father's, that I've tweaked, modernized, <laughs> uh, made fit for the character. The musical whipping that I think, you know, is, is what a lot of people know me for, that came out of actually just kind of like a jam session, per se, is the best way to put it. Of I was with another guy who knew how to crack whips, and we were both just kind of sitting there, and suddenly we realized we were cracking whips in the beat of We Will Rock You. Ch -ch and so we started singing. I was like, wait a minute, you can do this with so many songs. And I realized every pop song basically known to man, you can just work with a one, two, three, four beat. And then from there, it was like, well, I did a lot of improv as a kid. Why don't I just make up, you know, different lyrics on the fly and make them, as I call them, whippy songs. I post one a week on, on social media and it's consistently the best performing video of the week, whether it's Lizzo's about darn time or something that came out 50 years ago, whatever it may be. You started at WBUR as an intern, and you worked your way all the way up to reporter, news anchor, producer, while balancing this other career of Jack the Whipper on the weekends. And I think you said a little while ago that it was 19 months of you kind of contemplating and going, uh, should I, should I not? What made you finally pull the trigger? Besides the money. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the security and the stability was a good thing. The first year that I was at BUR, I was a part-timer. They hired me in May of 2010. And it was basically if someone called out sick, they called me. Uh, if someone went on vacation, they called me. So the hours, sometimes you'd be working five days a week. Sometimes you'd be working zero. Thankfully, I had the circus to fill that gap in the income yes. um, stream. And when a full-time job came up, a job that I had been doing basically full-time for the last couple of months came up, I was very on the fence about it. It opened up right as I started my big run at King Richard's, eight weekends every fall. And it wasn't until about halfway through the run that I was like, well, you know, I can do this job for a little while while I get my show schedule organized. I was like, nothing happens in the winter. It was like uh, October, November of 2011. And then like in a year, I can leave once I've got the show schedule set. I think that was kind of my thinking. Wow. 
Also, I needed health insurance. That's important too. I always love to check in with guests on how they connect the themes and patterns of their experiences, especially when they move from one career to another. So how do you connect the dots, Jack? How did your news anchor role influence your profession as a circus performer and vice versa? Being on stage since I was, you know, six years old, it has made me very comfortable with things not necessarily going according to plan and things going awry. And I've always been very comfortable improvising. And so when I was a reporter for BUR, I basically became our breaking news guy. If you need someone to go, you know, go to the two o'clock press conference or go to the two o'clock event and be ready to talk live without a script at three, I was good at that. And I think that's helped me a lot. I'm also able to stay calm when things don't go according to plan because, you know, everything has gone wrong in my show up to and including me setting myself on fire one time. You know, it happens to all of us. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Backtrack. Stop right there. (laughs) When did you set yourself on fire? (laughs) Because you told me you didn't get injured. Have you gotten injured? All my injuries have been from adult sports leagues, ironically enough. (laughs) Not related to the circus work. No, I was using two fire whips that I uh, wasn't really familiar with. They kind of brushed the backs of my shoulders and the the lighter fluid caught them on on fire. So I learned something that day. I learned that stop, drop, and roll works. And then, you know, stop, drop, rolled, put myself out, got back out, finished the routine. There's all right. It's no, no harm done. Well, I do love the aspect of the improv because it's so true when you're dealing with breaking news and having to remain calm. And as you said, anything can happen in the circus and anything can happen when you're on live TV when you were with Simon Cowell and it was supposed to be Howie Mandel and he wasn't there. So you improvised. Exactly. On your website, it says that your goal is to take the timeless fundamentals of the circus and repackage them for a brand new, younger audience. How are you doing that? There are a lot of old circus routines that center around whip cracking. I mean, I, I mentioned I use my some of my dad's old routines. And these are routines that have worked for decades at this point. I mean, he's been performing since the late 70s uh, doing circus work. And so what I like to do is take these older routines, the kind of like, you know, you think about the circus and stuff under the big top. And one make it work, whether it's by mentioning the pop culture memes that the kids are into or doing the TikTok (laughs) dance on stage, you know, something as simple as that, but also softening some of the rough edges. Mm. I think there's, there is a not great history around some of the circus work of the, of the old days. And so what I like to do is make sure that we can keep some of that old circus lore and you know, circus routines alive while making it, I think, a little bit more appropriate for the modern audience and the modern sensibility. You just mentioned TikTok a moment ago, and you have more than two and a half million followers on TikTok alone. That's not even including all your other social media platforms. And you are also on the Cameo app. All right, you got to explain what the Cameo app is to our listeners if they don't know. And what's the most fun Cameo that you've done? (laughs) It's not appropriate for radio, I'll tell you that. (laughs) The Cameo app is anyone can pay a little fee, and uh, it's I think right now it's forty bucks. And uh, I will send a customized shout out to someone, you know, a loved one, or even just to them. I've gotten a few interesting ones. Some of them have just been talk to me with your cat. Someone was like, I want you to sing a show tune. They usually will give me a whip song that they'd like to hear, and I try to work that in. Am I allowed to say the one that wasn't appropriate? Well, you can go ahead. If we have to edit it out, we will, but go for it. I mean, we're not on national TV. I don't have any rules or regulations here. (laughs) By far the funniest one I got was someone asked me to read a Harry Potter erotic fan fiction involving two characters. (laughs) 
I won't go any further than that because I'm pretty sure we'll have to edit it out if I elaborate further. <laughs> it was for their wife as a prank. They said, you need to not at all introduce yourself, don't address her, just look at the camera and go directly into reading this. And I think I spent nine minutes reading this thing oh and it gosh. was awful <laughs> and I regret nothing. Did they appreciate it at least? <laughs> oh yeah, they showed up at the show later that year and they were very appreciative. Speaking of shows, Jack the Whipper is now a full-time circus performer with shows all across the country. I know you mentioned Colorado, I think, and Florida and New York, and you're going to be back in Boston. And folks, if you want to learn more about Jack's shows and where he's performing, you can go to his website, jackthewhipper.com, jackthewhipper.com. Jack, thanks so much for not only entertaining us today, but continuing to do so going forward as Jacques the Whipper, I like saying that, <laughs> as the full-time circus performer. We need more fun in our lives, Jack. Thank you so we much. We really do. Liz, thank you so much. And never forget, friends, that you can go after your passion and your dreams. And if running off to be in the circus means you're living your best life, know that it is possible. You heard it from Jack. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud, and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.